So if this is your first time to join us online or if you're here for the first time, we've been, uh, we've been teaching a series on resilience. And we're talking about raising the bar. And there are things that you got to work out that, that I, I see are things that build a resilient life. And there are five things that people have in their life that build this resilience. It's, it's not about avoiding life's challenges, okay, when I talk about resilience. It's not even about I'm so tough that, that I can survive, I can make it on my own. There are things that, that we all get whammied with and we think, can we ever recover? Uh, someone rejected you. Uh, someone offended you. Uh, so you had a loss in your life. You got fired from your job this week. But there are things that the Holy Spirit, there are skills and there are, are disciplines that, the, that God gives you through the Holy Spirit that gives a person the ability to bounce back. And if I could just say it's like metal that gets bent, you don't think it come back. But when you get bent and you get whammied by the enemy, there's this ability to center back on him and come back to the original intent of what God intended for your life. That's the resilient people of God. And there are five practices, and I'm going to just give you the weekly workout. You see them online, and I want you to just look at them. So on Monday, what, what do we do? We practice appreciation, and we cultivate gratitude. And that's being thankful for what God puts around you, the people he puts around you, the things that he's blessed you with. But don't just get caught up in thanking the gift that you receive. It's also worshiping ultimately the giver. Then Tuesday, we talk about compassion, where we practice kindness. We look intentionally for people that could never say thank you back to you. We don't want to thank you back. There are no strings attached, but we practice the kindness and the goodness of God. Resilient people, we're going to do on Wednesdays, we're going to talk today about identification, knowing your God image. That's a big deal because people are losing it big time. And uh, not just in the obvious that you see where people don't know their identity anymore, but I'm talking even spiritually with people. It's, it's a big struggle, and we're going to deal with that in just a moment. And then Thursday, we practice anticipation. We're going to talk about hope-filled thinking. And then on the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's going to be connection, building relationship, because God intended you to build strength by the people that he put in your life and that you intentionally develop those life-giving relationships, and we'll talk about that a little later. But today, we're going to deal with this big word called identification. Resilient people know who they are in God. They know whose they are, and they know who they are. That gives them the ability to bounce back when the most devastating thing happens in your life. You are centered on knowing who you are because you know whose you are. So I'm going to take this from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, and we're going to kind of land on this scripture and come back, and we're going to move around through what the Holy Spirit said through the Apostle Paul. But I want you to look at Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Let's check it out here. He said, Christ's love, that's a big word, love. Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life, the old identity, the old identity. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. God bless you. <laughs> uh, let's, it's, it's kindness, appreciation. I'm starting early. Amen. 
It's not Monday yet, but I'm going to do it. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. This is, this is deep stuff, man. At one time, we thought of Christ merely. Now, y'all need to listen to this. Uh, every teenager, please listen to this. Please listen to this. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. I'm going to break that down. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life, it's gone. And my new life has begun. How many of you thank God for the new identity you have in Jesus Christ? I still have the same hair, still have the same personality, still got the same quirky things in my life, but I'm telling you, Sam Reifkogel, the old is gone and the new identity has begun. So on Wednesday, I want you to really be intentional about focusing in on who you are in Christ, your identification, your God image, knowing when you know you are unconditionally loved by God, it reminds you of whose you are and who you are. If you don't, Satan is going to pressure and manipulate you into being something God never intended you to be. And then you'll start doing things that you really don't like what you're doing. How many thank God the new image is coming? Amen. So what is this identity all about? Well, let me tell you, first of all, our identity has been stolen. Our identity was stolen. It was stolen. Now, I'm going to just show you three ways that it, is, it was stolen. And it's got to start, first of all, you need to understand that the basis of all identity that's stolen, even as Jesus followers, and Satan starts whittling away at that, it is first and foremost stolen by your enemy. You need to know who the culprit is. You need to know where this is all starting. There is a demonic spirit, Satan himself, behind it that steals, and it's stolen by our enemy, Satan. You've got an enemy, and you need to know who it is. It is Satan himself. Jesus described it real clear in John 10.10. He says, the thief, so that just drop in Satan is what he's talking about. He said, the thief comes only, this is what he does, to steal, kill, and to destroy. His whole deal is to kill, steal, kill, and destroy your identity and your pastor's identity. And here's how he steals it. He steals it through past rejection. Your identity is over some things that have happened in your past. It could happen in your childhood. It could happen in your teen years. It happens because of the sin that I allow in my life. Or he steals my identity through my own self-righteousness that I try to perform. And here's what happens. What Satan really tries to do through past rejection, sins, past pain, and even through my own, ability, my own desire to get acceptance, he would like for me to believe that this is really who you are. He so entraps people that they really start believing this is who they are. And the problem with this that is that a lie believed as truth will affect you as if it is true. You really believe you were created that way. You really believe this is what God really intended for you. You really start believing Satan's lie because the voice you trust the most is your own. And Satan is an outstanding ventriloquist where he uses your voice with a lie and you start actually believing that's the way it is. 
Every one of my relations always fall apart. This is the way my mama was. This is what happened in my past. These are the folks that rejected me. This is the sin I'm in, so this must be who I am. And you define yourself by that. But let me give you the truth and finish what Jesus said. He said the thief does come to only steal, kill, and destroy. He said, but I have come to you for one reason that you can have a brand new life and you can live that life to the full to what God intended. How many thank God? God is the one that gives you that liberty. So where did it all start? Here's how it started. So it's just how it began. John, Genesis 1.26. It's not in your notes, but you're right. Genesis 1.26 is where it all started. In the Garden of Eden, when God created and formed man, when he made humanity male and female, the Bible says God breathed into man's nostril his own spirit himself. He didn't do that with animals. He didn't do that with trees. He didn't do that. He did it with what he fashioned from the earth, and he created you, and then he breathed his own breath into you, and God made us in his what? Pastor Tim referred to this as we're thinking about sanctity of life. Every time Satan sees a living, breathing human being you irritate Satan just with you waking up in the morning. I don't even care if you're an atheist and you hate God. You're irritating him. Because every time he sees it, he sees the reflection of God. And when God made man, and because he breathed his own breath into man's nostril, we had a unique relationship with God that dogs, trees, and plants do not have. You were created a spirit, God's spirit to spirit. You were uniquely created spirit to spirit and you were born. Spirit to spirit. So that makes you more unique than anything else and that's how God created us. So here's what Satan lies. Here's, here's Satan lies. Because you're spirit to spirit, every time Satan sees you, you remind him of God because you are created spirit to spirit being. So Satan starts feeding the lies. This is what he did to Adam and Eve. Here's what he did. He says, God's holding out on you. You could be really something more than what God says you really are. You really need to be who you are, not what God says. And if you'll eat of this fruit, if you'll eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you'll be like God's because I have another identity for you that's superior than God. In fact, God is pushing you down. You really need to be who you really ought to be. That is the lie that everybody sucks into. And if you'll do this, then you'll really be something and be accepted. And here's what Satan did. Satan so deceived Adam and Eve that Adam allowed his will and his thinking. He was spirit to spirit created with God. Just think about that. He's spirit to spirit created with God. So he gets the ability to walk with God in the cool of the day. There is no sin between he, his wife, or God himself. He's walking in the cool of the day. He's talking to God, naming animals. I mean, it's just amazing. Because he's spirit to spirit. He communed with God. God's walking with them. They are best of friends. But when Satan started putting, there's something identity that you have that God's holding out on you. Adam decided, I'm going to lean to my own thinking, which is I'm going to be soul-driven. I have a soul, but I'm soul-driven, and I'm going to go beyond the spirit-to-spirit -spirit created. So I'm not going to follow God's image or God's instruction of who I am. I'm going to go to my own thinking, and he allowed his soul to be dominated. Your soul is basically your mind, will, and emotions. You are a spirit. You have a soul, and it's contained in a body. 
You are, you are spirit, you have a soul, and it's contained in the body. I'm gonna say it again. You are spirit, you have a soul, and it's contained in the body. So what Satan did to Adam and Eve was so deceive them that you're missing out on something, so what do they do? They lean to the soul part of themselves, their own mind, will, and emotions that is now being corrupted by information from Satan that says you ought to be something different, and that's where the fall comes in. And that's why Romans 5.12 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race, including your pastor and you. You ready for this? It entered the human race. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. And the moment you want to see that, you can just take in your identity was totally corrupted. And now here's your struggle and my struggle. We are forever in the quest to regain the identity that God intended for us. And it is always the fight between his spirit and my soul. Who will dominate? Who will dominate? How many of you thank God? God just didn't leave us out there. He didn't allow the enemy to destroy and steal everything that God had because our identity gets stolen by the enemy. But God's love for you, can I tell you this, sir? God's love for you brought forth a plan. And here's the plan. Paul reads it on. Verse 15, Romans 5, 15. For this one man, Adam, brought death to many through his sin. Your identity, everything. But this other man, Jesus Christ, brought forgiveness to many through God's bountiful gift. Can someone say, thank you, Jesus, owe me something? That's what he did for you. But no, regardless of what God did for us, mankind is still attempting to gain what they think is their identity and their acceptance without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So identity is stolen, number one, by your enemy. Satan's still playing this trick, even on the greatest believers. Here's the second thing it's stolen. It's not just stolen by your enemy, it's stolen by our ego. My identity is stolen by my own ego. Can I just put it another way? By my own spiritual ego, my own spiritual self-righteousness. I'm trying to make it right. I'm trying to gain acceptance by what I do. And I'm telling you, it will strip my identity because it's stolen by my own ego, my own spiritual self-righteousness. Look what he said in 2 Corinthians. Let's go back to our text again. 2 Corinthians 5.15. He said, he, Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Go over to Romans chapter 5, verse 17. You see Paul, the same thread moving on. Look what he says. He said, the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us. But all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of what, everybody? Say the word with me. Of? Say that word again. It's a big word. Say it again. Righteousness will live in triumph over sin over death through this one man, Jesus Christ. I'll live over the flawed identity of what Satan tries to put in Sam Reifkogel. So here's what Paul's doing. Paul is arguing that Christ's death on the cross and our faith in him is the linchpin 
for my identity in Christ and my righteousness in Christ. It is the linchpin. If you don't understand what he did on the cross for you, you will always struggle in your identity and you will always try to obtain your own self-righteousness through your spiritual ego. So here's what Paul does. Let's go down this. Let's dig in this a little deeper. So Paul questions my spiritual ego and your spiritual ego, especially if you're in this longer. So those of you that have been serving Jesus a long time say, I already know all this. I know this scripture and everything. You need to pay real close attention because we're the ones that get flawed the quickest. So Paul brings into question my spiritual ego and your spiritual self-righteousness. Look what he says in Romans 10 verse 3. You got to check this out. Paul's dealing with this and I'll, I'll show you why. He says, for they, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. He says they don't understand it, how God makes people right with him. Refusing to accept God's way. They cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. Some of you are getting ready to get absolutely liberated right now. You're getting ready to be really set free right now. You're welcome. So here's the deal. When you look at Paul's writing, he, in Romans and Galatians and even in Philippians, you will see that he is constantly struggling with the people of Israel who have the law of God. And they said, they're thinking, we have received the law of God and we can pull this off. And they think they're pulling off, but they're not. And God, here's the deal. We can be good without Jesus. We can be good without him crucified. We can still get in. We can be good without God and make it. So Paul keeps using this word righteousness. Do you know how many times he used it in the book of Romans? Go check it out. Do you know how many times he used it? 36 times he used the word righteousness because righteousness has a major connection to your identity. If you don't get righteousness, you'll never know your identity. You will constantly struggle as a believer. So people say, I want to be righteous. But what's your interpretation of righteousness? So if... If I ask you, okay, what's the opposite of righteousness? Some of you go, well, immorality. And I can tell you what it is. So you've identified it. So the opposite of righteousness is just good behavior. No. Righteousness is to be in right relationship with somebody. That's what it is, that I'm in right relationship with him. So, and when I'm in right relationship then I'm received by that person. And when I'm received by that person, I receive the favor from that person who receives me. So, if that is true, <laughs> the opposite of righteousness is not immorality. It's rejection. <laughs> it's rejection. So, when God chooses to bless somebody that you think hasn't lived who's lived less than best in your opinion, you're going, I can't believe God would bless that person. Can you, you know what they did? You know their background? Do you know what they're struggling with right now? I can't believe God would give them a pay raise. Why would God heal them? Are, are you following me? 
So can I tell you, righteousness is not about your behavior. It is about rejection or acceptance. Okay, let me put it another way. Okay, okay, some of you are just, all right. Okay, let's say this. Okay, let's say your buddy at work, male or female, your friend at work, tells you, hey, the CEO of the company is having a, a party at their house. And you say, well, what's, 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 what's is it, do I need to come dressed a certain way? Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a superhero theme. So we're all supposed to come dressed superheroes. Okay, so you come in and, and uh, you're, you're dressed like Aquaman with his trident. And your, your wife comes dressed in like a Wonder Woman. And when you walk in, you f discover your friend just pulled a big gag on you. And it's actually a very formal, high-end party at the CEO's home. They've got violins, they've got a cellist, they've got everything playing. And you walk in and you see everybody is in black tie with bow ties. Everybody's in evening gowns. And there you are, dressed up like a fish. And your wife's... <laughs> now, how many know your buddy's snickering because you know everybody's watching you the whole night. You know that you are not accepted by the host or the group because you don't fit in. How many, stick, how many still with me on this? So you want to do one thing. You want to get out of that bunch as fast as you can because everybody's looking at you. And you know that you're not right with the host or right with the group. So you get out of You cut out. It's the same thing like applying for a job. When you apply for the job, you don't get your worst clothes. You find, okay, what kind of company is this? How do I need to dress? You go pick your nice thing. You go put it on. So why are you dressing like that? Because you know they're going to scrutinize you. And then they're going to look at you. You're going to make sure your resume. They're checking every reference. And all of a sudden, and you, guess what you want? You want a positive outcome, just like the party. You would stay longer at the party if you had the right clothing and accepted by the host and by the rest of the group. But now you don't feel that way. It's just like the job. You're looking for a positive outcome, and then all of a sudden they look you up and down. I mean, you, you see it when you walk in. Come on, you go for the interview. That you didn't say anything. What do they do? You're being scrutinized. You're being tested. It's a sense of a picture of righteousness for a moment. Can I just say this? You're looking for a positive outcome, and if they say stay at the party and they're not looking at you, if they say you qualify, you're hired, what do you feel? You feel accepted and you feel what, what kind of that sense of righteousness, I am not rejected, I am accepted. But if they say no to you, you don't belong here. You're always trying to say, what can I do? Can I change my clothes? Can I get out of the Aquaman suit and go put on them to get in here? You're always trying to do something. Do I have enough likes? Do I have enough followers? Do I, do, is, is, are people watching myself? Are they commenting on what I'm saying? You're always checking. You're always checking. And here's the problem. Over the years of your life and my life and your years to come, teenagers, listen closely to me. Are you listening closely? Over the years, thousands of verdicts are coming at you and me all the time. And you start to believe what will make you acceptable. You do it to your wife. Cook me this. I'll tell you how good your meal is. You give me a subpar meal. I won't show you gratitude when you make the meal. 
and she's always looking for something to be accepted as a wife and a mother. It's, it's happening to us all the time. Are you watching this? And this is why Paul says, like humans do. That's what Paul's saying. So Paul is saying, follow me. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed since the first sin. It has not changed. You're no different. You're not special. Paul is saying every person is trying to establish their own righteousness because people are always putting verdicts and passing verdicts on you and me, and it's not changing. And here's what happens. If we say, I can achieve that, I get in the group, I got on formal wear, I got enough likes, I got a thumbs up, I got more followers, if I can achieve that, then I have acceptance. And then you start thinking, I have acceptance from myself because I feel better, and I get acceptance from others, and maybe even from God. And here's the result, <laughs> that you have been accepted because you've done right. You live in constant guilt and anxiety in your life with God, in your life on this earth. Constant guilt and anxiety. Because you know what? We aim for a certain standard. We're aiming for the certain standard. And we kind of get there. We kind of get there. But we never quite get there. You're at the formal. And all of a sudden you're going, wait a minute. I think I got everything looking really nice. I'm, I'm thinking, uh, oh, but uh, ooh, ooh, they got on. Ooh, they, mm, they got East St. Laurent. Oh, my goodness. I got to get that because that'll really make me accepted. You're always, you never quite reach it because somebody always outperforms you. Someone's got a few more likes and likes them just a little bit better than you. Or you got rejected on the date so you think what's wrong with me so I got to start changing what I am and what I do so I can start get accepted on the date. It'll mess you up. Verdicts are coming to you all the time. So what we begin to do, we start trying to reach it, but we can never seem to reach it, so we live in anxiety. I won't be accepted. i got to keep doing this. i got to keep changing this. I, gotta, oh, I won't get accepted. I've got to do better. i gotta out, I got to outperform myself. i got to outperform the people around me. And then you live with guilt because you can't quite reach it. Can I tell you, when that happens, you start feeling like a failure. You start losing your identity. And that's why Paul said in Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous, no, not one. Because the verdict's coming at you. And so what we do is we try to keep performing to stay in the group with God. We impose it on our relationship with God. How are we doing, everybody? So it's stolen by Satan. He's the one behind it. And then it's stolen by your sense of trying to always get accepted by God because everybody's putting verdicts on you and you start thinking maybe that's the way it is with God as well. You say you don't, but we do. And then it goes and morphs into something else. Your identity gets stolen by your envy. That's why Paul goes to verse 16. Let's go back over there. How many still with me? You ever still tracking with me? Good, good, good. All the smart people. Anybody, how, y'all still tracking with me? Good, lots more smarter people. Amen, here we go. You love this, come on. So we have stopped. We have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. He said we've stopped because we were doing it. And I was doing it to myself. And others were doing it to me. We stopped to value each other from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. 
how differently we know him now. So now if you don't get that, you start losing your identity because you envy what everybody else has or how they perform for God. Now, now, please, what happens to us is we start getting this horrible, horrible thing of comparing ourselves to other people. He says, you can't do that. He said, I've stopped doing that. Now, I'm not talking about competition. How many know healthy competition is really good? Okay? We're going to watch competition today. Right? We're going to watch competition today. I hope they don't get drunk, and I hope they don't cuss. But I've been to one of those games, and Jesus help all of them. You know what I mean? Now, I'm not, talking about healthy, I'm not talking about healthy competition. How many of you know healthy competition is a good thing? Okay, come on. It, it gives you a sense of confidence. You, you build disciplines. It's even with a team. You know, when the team wins something, everybody gives rejoices. It transcends. It's not just about you. The whole team, everybody gets excited. Come on, it builds a work ethic in you. How many know work ethic's good? You know, I mean, come on. L- listen, you can't climb the, the ladder of success with your hands in your pocket. Okay, you can't climb a ladder with hands in your pocket. There's some kind of healthy competitions, but what gets dangerous is when all of a sudden you don't feel like you're reaching, so now you're comparing yourself to other people spiritually and everything else in life. And comparison will destroy you. It will absolutely pulverize your identity. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 10, 12. He says, we wouldn't dare say that we are wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are, but they are only comparing themselves to each other. Watch. Using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. You know what happened? It's dangerous. It's It's what destroyed Saul, for crying out loud. He's coming back from a battle after Goliath, and, and, and he come back, and, and, and they, he hears the women singing, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And what does he do? Instead of rejoicing over a victory, he gets miffed at this other guy. He's not even saying it. He's not even putting out the press release. He did not. He did not post it on social media. It was everybody else that posted it. The women were all singing, Saul has killed his thousands and David's tens of thousands. And man, it started irritating him because he had lost his identity in God. David is enjoying what's going on, but he's lost his identity. And now he starts comparing himself to what David did. I've only killed 1,000. He killed 10,000. And what happens? It starts destroying him. He should have said, now wait a minute, just a minute. Wait a minute. I killed 1,000 and he killed 10,000, but I know that 989 was the one that was going to kill him in the next battle. And I got rid of number 989 for you. And because I killed 989, you can go ahead and do 10,000, even do more than that. What you ought to do is rejoice in what you accomplished for God and settle it. Settle it. You start comparing yourself to the way other people dress. You compare to their job. You compare themselves to other people more spiritual than you in the house of God. And here's the problem with comparison. You start diminishing your own purpose and your own walk with God. You diminish it. And then you don't just diminish it. You start diminishing the people beside you. They lose heart because they tried to help you attain it. Then you start taking people and you demean them. And that's where you start putting people below you. You think what they do is not as important as what you do. Well, if you did, if you view you to kill 10,000, you'd be like me. You only kill 1,000. You start diminishing and demeaning people. You put them underneath you. Come on. Do you think that I am better 
than a man or a woman who was called by God to go to the barrios of Mexico, and today they're feeding 40 children, they're starving, they're eating out of a trash dump, and you're going to say because Sam Rifle is speaking to more people than that man or person is, and they only got 40 little children they're feeding, that somehow I'm more superior and my calling is higher than his calling? Are you deluded or what? You start demeaning your own call and you demean everybody's around you. And then you start resenting the people that God does bless and give 10,000 when he only gave you 1,000. Let me tell you the worst at it. Preachers. I've decided, friends, my identity is did I, here's success. You want success? Pastor Sam's going to give you success. Just one. You won't have to pay all that money for Tony Robbins. Let me give you, let me give you success in a nutshell if you want to be the best in life. You ready? You ready for it? Success is knowing the will of God and doing it, period. That is it. That is it. That is it. So I don't get up tomorrow and start looking at everybody else's preaching to see what the preacher preached. I, I, I don't do that to find out, did they have a bigger crowd than we had? I'm not searching everybody else's website to make sure, are we better than, are they better than us, are they better than them? No, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. I don't wake up in the morning resenting what I did. I'm simply trying to hear God. I obey the will of God, and I'm at the height of the success. Whether it takes me here, or whether it takes me to the bars of Mexico, or it takes me to a mega church, or anywhere. It, it's what if I'm doing the will of God, that is the most important thing I can do or that you can do. And you are at the height of success, no matter how much money you have or how little you think you have. You are at the height of success. So I don't wake up every morning wishing I was Steve Furtick and I'm going to go to Planet Fitness and go pump iron until I get guns. I'm not trying to be Chris Hodges, not trying to be Greg Rochelle, not trying to be Francis Chan, although I love my people. I tell you, tell you right now, I'm not trying to be anybody else. I am simply trying to be a guy that knows the will of God, does it. I want to be the beatest, meanest, baddest Sam Rifkogel on the planet Earth I can be for Jesus. That's, and you ought to do the same. <clears throat> And some of you are stripping your identity because right now you're working at a place you think is less than you. Or you don't have the money you have or you ought to be better by now and I should be free from this addiction right now and I should be over this and you're demeaning your purpose of what you're doing for God. I'm going to tell you right now, you ought to rejoice in God's purpose you have. Because he said in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this very clearly, buddy. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and it's not from Sam Rifkogel or yourself anyway. Come on. That's why you got to live in Galatians 2, 10. Just quote that scripture. Memorize that scripture. I am crucified. I have been crucified with Christ. But it's no longer Sam Rifkogel lives. But it's Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How many believe it's time to get back our identity of who died for us and who loves us? All right, I'm coming in for a landing. <clears throat> Anybody learn anything? Okay, let me close with this. I'm closing. Tell him he's closing. I pray I'm not lying, but I'm closing. 2 Corinthians 5.17, let's go back to it. Look what he says. He says, it means, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, a new identity in him. It's not just salvation, it's identification. It's not just getting saved, it's knowing whose I am and who I am. He said they're a new person. The old life is gone 
and the new life has begun. Now, I want you to flip over to Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Here's the Apostle Paul again under the Holy Spirit. Paul, Paul understood true identity is acceptance through what Jesus Christ, when he loved you and gave himself for you. That's the whole basis for your identity. So look what he says to the Philippians. Now, he's speaking to these. They're talking about keeping the law. I've done this. I'm doing, I'm doing good, so I should have acceptance on my own spiritual ego. It's going to destroy your identity. And he says, well, let me give you, if you want to talk pedigree and serving God, he said, let me give it to you. Right before this scripture, he says, let me just tell you something. He said, I got circumcised eight days after I was born. I kept all the law. He says, I am a pure blood citizen of Israel. I'm pure blood. I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm pure blood. And he looks at me and says, in fact, I'm a real Hebrew. I'm better than some of you that think you're keeping the law. He said, in fact, I was a Pharisee. I kept every single rule we had. But he still felt guilt, and he still felt anxiety, and he knew he could never reach it, and he was figuring it out. And so he says after that, in verse 7, look at this, Philippians 3, 7, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. <laughs> yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Watch, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I believe it and I receive it. He said, all that other good stuff I did, you all. He said, you're giving me medals and pins for it. You thought I was the greatest. He said, but let me tell you what it was when I was trying to perform so that I felt I had acceptance through that stuff. Behavior was right, but belief and being was so messed up. He said, let me tell you what it was. He said, it was all garbage. You go look it up at the Greek, it's really excrement. He called it excrement. Okay, somebody's that dung. Okay, still no register. Poo-poo, okay? So it help you a little bit. Okay, I finally got everybody with me now, okay. And here's what Paul is trying to say. Paul is saying this. Can I just give it to you in the Rifle Paraphrase Edition? He said, would you please stop trying to gain your identity and your self-acceptance from every other place and go to the one that really matters and what he did, Jesus Christ. See, what happens when you do that, you start discovering you are not saved by your works. You are saved for good works. 
And now the way I give my service, my money, my time, my attitude, doing those, doing those five workouts, it's not because I'm trying to curry favor with God. I'm not saved by those things. I was saved for those things. Because everything else you try, and I love your church attendance, but it ought to be deeper than making sure I got to do this because then God, God, God will finally bless me. It comes out of, God, I was saved for this. I, I, I want to spend time with you. I can't believe what you did because I couldn't do anything. He said, anything else you have is rubbish. It's going to decompose. It's going to decompose. And that guilt and anxiety you're feeling, some of you, that guilt and anxiety you're feeling, it is right. That guilt and anxiety you're feeling because you're less than best, it's right. You need to feel it. Because you finally need to come to the place where here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've got to humble myself, admit, just admit that I am not acceptable as I am, and then you will be able to receive the verdict of total acceptance from God because nothing I have or nothing I conform can give me in. He genuinely loves me. The gospel is simple. It's simple. Stop your own doing of establishing your own sense of self-righteousness and look at what Jesus Christ did for you that you do not deserve one bit and take it by faith. Listen, God doesn't love you because you're valuable. <laughs> Are you hearing me? God doesn't love you because you're valuable. People say, love yourself. No, God doesn't love you because you're valuable. You're valuable because God loves you. Don't we get it? Can you and I not get it? And your resilience will occur. Your low esteem will diminish. Your constant comparing and guilt and anxiety will begin to fade when you understand that he loves you. And if you're struggling with that, I have one scripture that'll settle it for you and for me. If you don't get anything, here's your, here's your task. You just start quoting this passage to yourself. Ready? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting And I know some of us have been in this a long, long time, and we've got all that down. But who are you comparing that should get in and shouldn't get in? Because their performance has been less than best. Who, who is it? Well, what are you imposing upon yourself because thousands of verdicts are coming at you all the time? And then we start imposing that on this is how the relation works with God. 
And I started discovering, my goodness, man, when I discover his love, I get to do this. <laughs> I get to show up here. I, I get to read the Word of God. I, I get to take what he's blessed me with and bless somebody else. I get to. I really get to do this. And maybe somehow in all that interpretation, they start discovering, why are you doing this? Why, why are you showing appreciation? Why, why are you showing compassion to me? Why? Why you don't even know me? Or I know what I said about you. Why are you showing me this? Maybe somehow in that they will see a glimpse of the Father's love for them. No strings attached. You don't deserve it. It's simply received.